your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Oh, are things getting interesting in the association? EJ Stewart here. Tommy Beer is here. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast. Odyssey. WF an original podcast you can get wherever you get podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto download feature on your streaming service and you get these episodes every time we drop. We got plenty to get to on this episode. There's a massive trade that has gone down in the NBA. Bradley Bill leaving Washington. If you listen to this podcast, you know it is good news that is he's not coming to New York. You don't have to worry about that. He is going to Phoenix in a trade involving Chris Paul, involving Landry Shamit. And some some pick swaps. We'll talk about that and particularly how it impacts the Knicks. I think it impacts the Knicks on multiple fronts. We'll break that down in a bit. Also, Julius Randle opens up. It's not it's rare you hear Julius Randle um do really sit down interviews, but he actually uh did a, a long two-hour interview. I listened to all of it on the uh podcast P with Paul George. He talked a lot about uh, not just his time with the Knicks, but also his career and his life coming up. So I want to touch on some of the things he talked about with, from the Knicks standpoint, what it, what it meant to uh, play for Tibbs, what's his relationship been like with Jalen Brunson, where he sees the team at this point in time. Very interesting comments from Randall, so we'll talk about that as well. And you may have forgot, but it's draft week. It is NBA draft week, which a lot of NBA draft aficionados like myself, very exciting. Not very exciting this year for Knicks fans for many reasons, one being that they do not have a pick. That's really probably the, the main reason. Uh, Knicks do not have a pick in this year's draft, but we will still talk about what storylines to follow, what to expect from the Knicks, and if there are any, any players maybe we should be looking at if the Knicks decide to buy a pick at, certain, at a certain point in time. So plenty to get to on this show. Tommy, again, joins me as always. Tommy, how are you feeling? Feeling good, feeling good. Always something going on in the association. You know, people ask, like, oh, if NBA Finals are over. You get to relax now for a little bit. I'm like, nah. Nope. We got the draft this week. We got free agency on the horizon and summer league not too shortly after that. So uh, plenty to discuss, including a blockbuster deal um, that you're right, I think, uh, does uh, impact the Knicks in, in the, on a few different fronts. So uh, let's chat about the Beal blockbuster. Let's get to it. So, again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods New York Knicks podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service. Also, check us out on YouTube. You can find us on the WFN channel and the Odyssey Sports channel. So, let's begin with the first big domino that has fallen this offseason. It could have some big implications for the Knicks. The Suns have acquired three-time All-Star Bradley Beal along with Isaiah Todd. Jordan, Jordan Goodwin uh, in exchange for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, several first-round pick swaps, and second-round picks. Bradley Beal now joins Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to form a new big three out in Phoenix. So that's out there in the West Coast. What's going on here with the Knicks? And how does it impact the Knicks? Well, it impacts them potentially on two fronts. Number one, Chris Paul has been linked to the Knicks. We talked about that a bunch on this podcast uh, he was sent out in this deal, obviously, to Washington. Washington, the report was that they actually wouldn't mind keeping him around if he wants to keep stay around, but pr- knowing that he probably won't, they are currently looking for a third team willing to take on Chris Paul's contract, uh, which is the final year left on his deal, and get involved in this and make this a three-team trade. Apparently, the Warriors and the Clippers are the teams rumored to maybe be interested in making this a three-team trade. So Chris Paul, Knicks 
front there affected with Washington now coming into the picture with, uh, with, with Chris Paul now headed there for now. Now, number two for the Knicks. The Knicks own Washington's first-round pick next year that is top 12 protected. If that pick isn't in isn't outside the top eight by 2016, it turns into two second-round picks. So we have the Wizards moving on from Bradley Beal, expected to hit the tank button, and you are, you're the Knicks. You have lottery-protected pick coming to you. Now you got two years here, three years here, where you got to find a way to land yourself outside that top eight at some point in time if you want to find a way to get that pick. Otherwise, it's turned into a second rounder. So that's maybe even bigger implications for the Knicks. So I'll, I'll start right there, Tommy, when it comes to that trade that the Knicks made, which happened on draft night last year, where they drafted Usmani Dien, and then they made a million different trades. One of those trades, which was the OKC trade, brought this Wizards pick to the Knicks. It was among three picks that came over. Does this trade that the Wizards made now worsen the, the value of the Knicks pick that is, again, top 12 protected this year that goes to top 10 in 2015, 2025, and then top 8 in 2026? Yeah, I, I think you have to acknowledge the fact that obviously this trade in and of itself uh, weakens the, the value of the pick, but then you just assume that this is the first domino, as you mentioned, and, and kind of the first, uh, you know, the, the first sign that the Wizards are going to hit the reset button. Um, will they, if KP opts, uh, opts into the final year of his deal, they probably trade Porzingis this off season. Um, Kuzma is probably not long for DC, you know, based on, uh, you know, does he want to play with a, a team in a full, in a full rebuild? Um, again, they're going to, they're going to search out assets. They're going to trade. They're going to, you know, um, kind of strip the car of all its parts and, and sell whatever they can, whatever's not tied down and try to get future draft picks back. And, and obviously they're not going to go hit free agency and, and spend a bunch of money on win now veterans. Um, so I, I, I would be shocked um, if the Wizards, uh, again, as EJ noted, top 12 protected next year, 2024, top 10 protected in 2025, if it doesn't convey, and then 2026 top eight. So I'd be, again, I'd be shocked if they, if it's, if the, um, Wizards, uh, don't have one of the 11, 12 worst records in the NBA next season. I'd be very surprised if they don't have one of the 10 worst records in the NBA, um, uh, in the 24, 25 campaign. 2025-26 is a bit of a different story. One, it's only top eight protected, so that, that obviously gives the Knicks a little bit more leeway. Plus, yep. it's really difficult to predict what could happen two, three years from now. Let's say um, the the uh, the Wiz hit on a draft pick on, on one of the draft picks this year. Right? We've seen great players slide to 11, 12, 14, yep. 16. Um, you know, maybe they consolidate some picks and move up and get it and get a real difference maker this year or next year. Um, and, and at that point, you know, uh, in 2025, 2026, you know, you, then you can start to build some assets around there. They hit on two draft picks and you could be 15 games under 500 and still finish with the eighth worst record in the NBA and then fall to ninth or 10th. Um, you know, in the lottery, if a team nine or 10 jumps up, we saw the Blazers jump all the way up to three this year. Um, so it can happen. Um, you know, what I say, there's, uh, you know, there's probably at this stage of the game, you know, maybe, maybe 50, 50, you know, you know, whatever Vegas put the odds on probably a yeah. better chance that it conveys the two second rounders, um, that the Knicks get a lottery pick, um, which is unfortunate, uh, but it's the reality when you deal with kind of these protected picks, but, um, yeah, make no mistake. It wasn't uh, great to see, 
Um, we expected it. We, you know, we, we kind of had a feeling it was going to happen and it makes sense from the, from the, certainly from the wizards perspective. Um, but yeah, it's not, not great news for that protected pick from the Knicks. Yes, definitely not great news uh, when it comes to the value of that Wizards pick that the Knicks acquired in last year's trade. Yesterday's price is not today's price. So, yeah, it's uh, not so good. I think if Leon Rose is, is thinking about shopping that pick around, if you remember a lot of the conversation regarding um, uh, the, the Don Mitchell trade, it became a lot of the conversation being, well, can the Knicks include some of these protected picks in, re- in replacing some of these unprotected picks that Danny Ainge had wanted in a trade with Utah? Uh, it wasn't working out well back then. So imagine now trying to trade a pick from a team that looks like it's cutting right toward the bottom of the standing for the next some odd years and saying, well, it's top 10, 12, 10, and then eight protected. Um, chance might be slim, quite frankly, that the Knicks end up getting that, in, in getting that pick. Now, I think you're right that I think the last year, once you get, you know, three years removed from where we are today, like, I mean, you know, they could draft uh, an, an incredible player next year. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, maybe in two years, they're not so bad. Maybe they're still a lottery team, but not a team that's uh, a team that's, you know, looking for a top two or three pick. But, yeah, that was probably one of the, uh, you know, downsides to whenever Washington decided to hit that, 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 that you know, that tank button with Bradley Beal and with where they are right now because you knew with the way the protections were that the Knicks would probably be hurt with that. So uh, not great news, uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's something to go crazy about, but it, it was, it was, it was a, a tough blow. I think to, to kind of see where this team is and look at so much of the rest of the players that are on that team. Like you mentioned Porzingis and you mentioned Kyle Kuzma and say their futures are very, very much in flux as well. It doesn't look very good in terms of the, the Wizards being a competitive team for the next few years. Yeah, definitely. Again, um, you know, the other the, the other thing to to, to mention and, and keep in perspective is that the Knicks may not be worrying about that pick by 2026 if they wrap sure. that pick into a larger deal. And um, but again, to your point, even if the Knicks don't hold on to it, a team trading for it um, has to, um, you know, the reality is that that pick may, uh, you know, may not convey and essentially, you know, may lead to two second rounders, which is obviously minimal value. Yeah, exactly. Now, on the other side of this, you have the Chris Paul situation. So, again, Chris Paul um, said he learned about this while on a plane from his son. His son texted him saying, hey, I think you're getting traded, Dad, which is uh, quite the way, I guess, to for a Father's Day gift that I guess you get from your son or, you know, around that time that, that you learned that you're being traded while on a plane to New York to, to, to you know, push a, a book that he's putting out. I think it's a, it's not an autobiography. I think it's about a lot of it's about his grandfather. Um, and he learns that uh, he's been traded. So the Knicks were one of the teams that were rumored to be in on Chris Paul. He's, that's what uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said. I said in this podcast, I thought the momentum was swinging that maybe he would actually be a New York Nick. How does this complicate the potential Chris Paul sweepstakes that's about to ensue in what's probably happening right now, quite frankly? Yeah, I thought the best case scenario from a Knicks perspective would have been the Suns waving, stretching and waving uh, CP3 and then him becoming yeah. a free agent. Um, I think once we get into the trade scenario, then it sounds like the Clippers are looking at, you know, are, are talking with the Wizards already. And again, this um, Beal trade hasn't been, hasn't been officially consummated because they're trying to rope in a third team to benefit the Wizards and and, and ship. And so uh, Chris Paul's not going to play for the Wizards next season. So yeah. the question is, can the Wizards flip him um, immediately as, you know, uh, basically in, in, as part of this larger trade expanded out? Um, if that doesn't happen, they'll keep him. 
um, and then look to, you know, flip him in a separate deal for other assets. You know, maybe, you know, I, I assume they could hold on to him, um, you know, the start of the season. You know, he'll get a couple months off and then try to try to trade him again at the deadline. Um, so, yeah, the odds of Chris Paul ending up in New York probably took a little bit, you know, a little bit of a ding. Um, but, I, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Um, but from a Knicks perspective, I, I always thought the, the most likely scenario was him becoming a free agent, accepting, a, 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 you know, becoming, you know, accepting a backup role, playing 18, yeah. 20, 22 minutes a night for the mid-level exception around 12 million. Um, it seems like that's less likely as of, uh, you know, as of Monday morning, Sunday night, whenever, you know, when the trade was announced. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, the Knicks, you know, they can't entertain a three-team deal. I mean, there's no reason to trade valuable assets for Chris Paul. I look, I, I, I've said that I've made the case. That I think Chris Paul could contribute and, and could be a valuable piece to the Knicks next season. But I don't think it should be at the cost of young players currently on the team or at the cost of future draft capital that could then be used, that, that could be used as another trade for a star. Like, that can't be where the Knicks are here. So, um, I, I think that you can't entertain a three-team trade. You got to hope that Washington basically strikes out and can't find a third team, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it doesn't seem Possibly. like these teams are lining up to say, hey, you know, we'll give a lot of assets. I mean, this just trade has been announced for days now. Yep. And no one has definitely has stepped up the place. They know we'll, we will fork over wherever Washington is looking for for Chris Paul. So that tells me that uh, maybe maybe it's going to be ended up being a dry kind of trademark of Chris Paul after all. But Washington has the benefit of if the Clippers and the Warriors are interested, they do have that character of saying, look, we can dangle this and kind of make this a little bit of a bidding war and maybe not give it up much, but maybe one of those teams will say, you know what? All right. We really don't want to lose Chris Paul out to one of these other teams. We'll give the, you know, future first to get him here. You know, that that's the game. That's the game of chicken that Washington is playing, which they should. This is how yep. a smart organization moves. And we'll see how that goes. I, I think that um, there is no chance the Knicks entering a three team trade. Uh, do you think Chris Paul gets traded or do you think he ends up getting cut? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think he'll eventually get traded. I, I think other teams are waiting um, again, like the Knicks waiting it out. Um, obviously we prefer to sign them uh, for $12 million instead of trading for a 30 player on a $30 million uh, contract. Again, we've yeah. talked about um, the implications, you know, the Suns obviously are, you know, the, the, the Phoenix second aprons is what teams are going to be called <laughs> um, because they're up over 170 million, basically with just three players, four players. Um, so, you know, that, that's the situation they're locked into. And other teams obviously would prefer to sign, you know, get Chris Paul on a, on a, an affordable veteran contract as opposed to, um, uh, the $30 million that he's owed. Um, and one other thing before we switch gears, um, in terms of how this trade could impact the Knicks, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say, huh, I wonder if we look back three years from now that this was the trade that eventually led to Devin Booker demanding mm -hmm. a trade from Phoenix because he, you know, Kevin Durant is, who knows, injury prone, doesn't work out, Beal struggles, he's not worth the money, and Devin Booker looks up in 25, 2026, something along those lines and says, 
my path to a championship is really, really difficult here. Um, I got a vet, an aging 36, 37-year-old KD. Beal's not the player he once was. Aiton has never developed. Maybe I, I, I envision myself in a different scenario. And then obviously we know about the Kentucky connections. We know about CAA connections. Um, could that lead to a Devin Booker um, landing in New York scenario? Uh, obviously far down the road. Um, mm -hmm. the, the Suns are, are, you know, the Suns hope that, and, and listen, they have a legit chance to win a championship next season and, you know, continue to, to be a competitive team. I'm skeptical of, of this whole thing working out, but Hey, I mean, you got one of the best players of all time at KD, Devin Booker's a stud, um, Beal's a really talented player overpaid, but, um, you know, he's, he's been injury prone. If he can stay on the floor, um, you know, maybe this lights a fire under Aiden or they flip Aiden for multiple pieces and depth, et cetera. Um, so, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be one of the five, you know, odds on favorites uh, to, to come out of the West uh, to, to win a championship. But again, looking down the road, this has big upside. It also has really drastic, disastrous downside, and that could benefit the Knicks someday in the future. Look, I know you said that the Suns will have, you know, potentially top five, top six odds to win a championship. I know who won't be putting money down on that team. EJ Stewart, because <laughs> I'm looking at a roster that has five guys currently under contract, five. And you talk about a team that's already well above the salary cap, well above the luxury tax. I mean, I think it's interesting that Chris Paul, in his interview with the New York Times, talking about another Knicks connection, he said that it was not just Matt Ishbia who wanted a yeah. you know different direction. He kept mentioning Isaiah Thomas. And he mentioned Isaiah Thomas like twice, three times. He wanted to make sure everybody knew that yep. Isaiah Thomas is also involved with how the Suns are currently being built right now. And I don't feel great about a team that has five guys currently on the contract completely capped out. And I don't know how they're going to fill a whole roster. I mean, I'm looking at their, their, their salary cap situation. A lot of these guys that are going to be free agents, they don't even have their bird rights. They don't have Damian Lee's bird rights. They don't have Giles Gogi's bird rights. They don't have uh Terrence Ross's bird rights. They don't have TJ Warren's bird rights. How do they bring these guys back? Are these guys gonna all just take the absolute you know minimum salary like they played under this past season? Like I can't imagine all those guys gotta take that. Some of those guys should be able to make a little bit more money than that. I mean, I don't know. I, we talked about Devin Booker in maybe a couple of years. I, this I don't think this is gonna work. I mean, they don't have a point guard. Like, right now, the only point guard is, you know, one of the few guys on the roster, technically, is campaign with who they have to guarantee, which I'm sure they will now that they lost Chris Paul. I I don't feel great about how this team is built right now. And that's besides the fact, you know, Beal and Booker playing in the same – are they playing the same backcourt? Is Beal – is Booker moving to three? Like, I don't know. I, I This just feels like NBA 2K GMing, GMing at its worst. Like – in NBA 2K, maybe this would have worked out, but to actually just attribute that to actual roster building, I, I think this is going to end up being really, really bad. Yeah, when the when the when the Suns made the K deal, K Kevin Durant trade, and we talked about how it impacts the Knicks, um, the Nets control the Suns draft basically from now on through 2029. So they got they got to be really happy um, with the with the. I shouldn't say that, but they 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 have a reason to believe that this that trade could really benefit them. Yeah, 2027 unprotected first rounder, 2029 unprotected first rounder, 2028 option to swap. Uh, unprotected so there yeah. are a lot of reasons for Nets fans to be excited um, because you can argue that they I and mean, listen they they should win 50 
plus games next season. Um, but after that, things could get ugly, and that's when the Nets could really benefit. Um, but yes, yeah, as, as far as contracts go, they're going to sign, you know, Lock the Jack Lockdales and and those type of guys. It sounds like they're going to sign them. Um, and again, with the second apron, they kind of skirted that issue by getting the trade done prior to the end of right. the 23, 24 season. Right, exactly. um, we'll have some flexibility this year, but the following year, um, really restrictive in terms of they don't have an ability to use their exceptions. They can't consolidate uh, contracts and trade. They can't send out cash and trades. Um, so it's going to be very difficult to round out that roster. Yeah, good luck to uh, Ishbia and Isaiah Thomas for fielding a 15-man roster. Yep. <laughs> Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker all making, you know, just doing this quick math here, like 100, looks like 150 million next year. Like, I mean, it, this is this is insane kind of what they put together. But uh, we will see how that shakes out. But uh, shifting gears back to the Knicks, Julius Randle opening up about the direction of the team, his chemistry with Jalen Brunson, and what it is like playing in New York. He was on the Podcast P show with Paul George. During the show, he talked about how he loves playing in New York and that he's received a lot of love, despite some of the perceptions maybe suggesting that maybe it hasn't been so fun playing in New York. That negativity that's coming towards y'all. First thing first, if you want like a lesson, don't do thumbs down. That didn't work out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I love it, bro. It's made me the player I am today. It all depends on how you look at it, bro. It can be tough for some people, and it's been tough for me. It's been tough for my family. The garden is it's a different animal. It done taught me so much more about myself and as a player. Age you though, bro. It's like it's like almost being like you you the president and they go in there and you see them and they look great. And four years later, they got the image and they look yeah. old as hell. Yeah. That's how I feel right now. How is it in New York? If you look at it from a media perspective, like you'd be like, damn, it's hard being there. I go on walks all the time like around the city, the actual fans interaction, like face to face yeah. is crazy how much love it is, bro. Yeah. We ain't one. You know what I mean? We got to the <laughs> second round. They like, man, we so appreciate, so appreciative. So Julius Randle there talking about how it's like playing in New York. <laughs> it was funny. He mentioned the thumbs down thing. Said that that was probably not the best thing you should do, which I kind of enjoyed that he was able to make fun of that in the full podcast. Cause that was a, a, a no, I did a clip that the, the podcast piece show put on Twitter in the full clip of that segment. He said that, you know, he attributed that to actually immaturity, but I thought it was, you know, interesting. I didn't think I never heard Julius Randall be that introspective about his issue. So, um, so I, I thought that that was interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting him talking about where the Knicks are in terms of how much they've realized that perhaps they're not as far off as maybe people would have thought, or even they would have thought. Here was Julius Randle on that. From a team standpoint, I had to say, just show you like how balanced the league is, right? Mm -hmm. To where we realize, man, like just keep getting better. We not that far off, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's motivating for me in a sense, because like, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, all right, how can I be the best version of myself to help the team win? Mm -hmm. So I go into the off season, I, you know, you dissect that. But it's everybody from a team. Like, we got a bunch of – we got a great mixture of talent, bro. We got young dudes. We got, you know, guys who, you know, going into their prime. Um, so, we got a great mixture of guys. But it's like, how do you keep getting better? Right. Uh, so, from a team standpoint, I think that's where we at. Like, as individuals, how can we get better? And then we figure out, you know, what worked in the postseason, what didn't. You know, mm -hmm. like, what worked versus Miami, what didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the teams doing that won? So, like, I look at Denver and I'm like, all right, what are they doing as a team uh, to help them have such great chemistry on the court? Right. You know, to win. 
So uh, interesting thoughts from Julius Randle on where the Knicks are, his experience playing in New York. I'm not sure how much you got to hear about this interview, Tommy, but from anything you heard, anything stand out to you uh, from the Randle interview on the podcast, P podcast with uh, Paul George? Yeah, nothing crazy. But but like you said, I thought it was beneficial for him. Um, I thought it was good for him to you know, self-deprecating, um, had a little bit of a sense of humor, was playful about the thumbs down thing, um, you know, gave some insight to kind of how he felt. Um, both emotionally, physically, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's one of those things where, listen, players don't owe the media anything. Um, but, you know, other than to, to speak with the media is part of their contract, you know, but um, I just think there's a lot more to be gained um, and, and certain players take advantage of this. There's a fine line, you know, the media is going to ask for asks for too much and they will stab you in the back and they'll run with a quote um, disparaging you if, the, if it'll sell papers and all that stuff. And we get it. Um, but I do think there is a, a benefit to developing a cordial relationship, a friendly relationship, um, as opposed to an adversarial relationship. Um, and the Knicks have been kings of that. Um, not, not obviously, not making uh, personnel available. Leon Rose has spoken to anyone other than you know an MSG representative in a, in a couple of years. Um, Dolan never goes on record other than to say something crazy. Um, teams are, you know, <laughs> of all the of all the teams in the NBA, they're you know arguably the least media friendly. Um, yep. which doesn't benefit them. You know, beat writers get upset and a select number of fans. Most fans don't care, nor should they. Um, it's not the reason the Knicks haven't won a lot of games, uh, yeah. but, it, it, but it doesn't help the overall picture. Um, and there's just not a lot to be gained by it. So you'd think at some point um, they'd learn their lesson and kind of revamp the way they handle it. Um, but again, orders come from the top down. And when you have someone as petty, um, as as Dolan at the uh, you know making all the the main decisions that it, it's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but it was good to hear Randall kind of more free outside of the restrictive you know Nick's uh, you know PR bubble. Um, so I uh, you know I, I found it uh, at least informative and, and a bit entertaining on that on that respect. Yeah, I mean to me, I feel like I listened to this and watched some of it you know on the video side of it as well, and it made me wish. A, the Knicks were more free-flowing in terms of letting guys talk to the media yep. do interviews, things like that. But it kind of made me wish Randall himself maybe put himself out there a little bit more. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he is an all-star. He is an all-NBA player. You would think that, you know, if he wants to talk to somebody, he could, you know, move some move some, uh, move some, some boulders to get, you know, his personality out there. Because I think that there is this perception that he is this kind of cold, this kind of like standoffish guy, which a lot of some of the media members who cover him, I saw Steve Popper said it on Nick's Film School, said that Randall is a pretty great guy. I mean, you know, like he's 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 a nice guy, he's you know kind, and you know a lot of people what people think about him, you'd be surprised when you actually get down sit down and talk to him. And it was ironic that this interview then came out like the following week. And yeah, he seems like a, a cool dude. He clearly loves balls. It was interesting to hear him talk about the game the way he did. It made me wish that we kind of saw more of this side from him. Um, New York's a pressure cooker, and what is being asked of him probably doesn't maybe warrant that as much. But I, I do wish that maybe we could see more of this from him. And and I ended up enjoying a lot of this interview, I'll be honest. When it started in three, four minutes in, he's saying how he doesn't watch film. I did want to just rip my headphones off. But then he clarified that he is now watching film. He talked about how earlier in his career he really didn't watch too much film. It actually started uh, during the lockout. See or not the lockout season, the COVID season. Prior to that, with the shutdown happening, he couldn't play basketball, couldn't go to any gyms. So that you know, 
required him to find another way to improve his game. And that's when he started watching a lot of film. He said I had the best year of my career at that point. So um, he says that this injury he actually thinks will maybe help him because right now, of course, he has the ankle surgery. He talks about that and the, the difficult recovery process that goes into rehab. He has said that essentially, you know, now that I can't go and work out because normally I would go be out there working out right now. Now all I have is film. So I do hope that maybe him kind of studying the film will maybe help him see where he, you know, struggles at times and some of the issues we've seen and we've talked about plenty on this show. I did think there was one thing because we talked about the relationship he had with Tom Thibodeau. And I thought this was an interesting quote. I want to hear what you have to say about this, Tommy, because both both of us have sometimes been dumbfounded as to what is this relationship with Tibbs and why does, does it seem like Tibbs is unable to hold him accountable? I think he says something in this interview that actually made me kind of maybe understand their relationship better. Here's Julius Randle on the relationship with Tibbs. We related off the bat just because we both workers. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if y'all hear about like Tibbs, but like Tibbs be in the office all day. Bro. I hear that. He's a hard worker. Bro. Yeah. So it's like, bro, you can't be watching that much basketball. Why <laughs> like, are you here all day? But like Tibbs really be in the office all day. And I'm like the type of dude that, you know, practice and then I'm coming back at night. And like, I'm coming back at night, he's still there. So like, he just like, I think he appreciated that about me. And I, I appreciate that about him. Like, you know, he willing to put in the work. So I think uh, like off the bat, like we hit it off in that aspect of our relationship. And then, um, like I said, bro, like he just, uh, he the type of dude that like, you know what to expect, like every day, like, you know, what, what's the expectation. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that creates accountability, you know, within our team. So, mm-hmm. so I thought it was interesting because he ends it with the accountability part, which is ironic because we always thought about Tibbs. It feels like not holding him accountable, at least not in public. And the way he plays sometimes, you wonder, is he holding him accountable in private? But what Randall mentioning, Tommy, that like they hit it off immediately because Tibbs saw how hard he worked. It almost makes me wonder if that is why Tibbs gives him so much rope and why we don't hear Tibbs go after him. Because maybe Randall is the hardest working guy on the team. Like, if you know, and by all accounts, like he 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 did the whole article he did in the um in the no, not the athletic, the uh, players' driven. We talked about he goes to different cities, immediately goes to a gym because that's what Kobe taught him to do. There are some very funny stories about Kobe Bryant in this podcast that if you, you don't care anything about Randall's and Nick stuff or you're just tired of him, at least go to the end of it and listen to Kobe stuff. But that stuff was awesome. But anyway, like, I do wonder if Tibbs looks at him and says, well, I know how hard this guy works. I know the work he puts in. Like, who am I to say, okay, he should have died dough after that loose ball or he should have had, you know, better body language. Like, he's given 10 times more effort than everybody else on the team. Like, do you think that that may be why we see the relationship that him and, and Randall have? Like, I, I thought that that quote was a little telling, to me at least, especially when he went back to the accountability part. Because I think he kind of tied those two things together. Yeah, it's clear these guys have a mutual respect for each other. And I think he alluded to probably the greatest strength uh, uh, that Tom Thibodeau brings to the table when you hire him as your head coach of an or- of your organization. You know, like, yeah. not a terrific X's and O's guy. He's gotten better as, as he's, you know, he's gotten better. He's a better offensive coach than he was a few years mm-hmm. ago. And there's the other downside of playing guys too much and stubbornly, you know, rigid and how long um, 
can guys get berated before they kind of tune the coach out? All that other stuff um, is valid, and we'll talk about it, and we've talked about it, and we'll talk about it in the future. But that kind of is the crux of, of the real value uh, of having Tom Thibodeau around your team and as the uh, as the focal point, you know, as the as as the head coach uh, of your basketball club, because he's gonna he some guys talk about doing you know uh, committing and and you know showing up on days off and getting right. in extra hours and being the first one in and the last one to leave. Tibbs lives that life. Anybody that's played for him recognizes that he doesn't ask you to put in more time than he does himself, etc. Um, so I, I, again, I think there's a mutual connection there. But the Randall stuff and and just kind of putting a bow on this conversation and, and the Randall picture at large is, and you mentioned the Players Tribune article that was in Mar the towards the end of that first All NBA season when yeah. you know Nick fans were in love with Julius Randall and yeah. raving about him as an MVP, you know MVP chance every time he went the free throw line and took yep. the Knicks back to the playoffs. And again, he was Prince of the City. Um, but then we have the next year when he just the, the body language was terrible and the thumbs down and the you know and then we came and up the play was terrible. And I play mean, he, he had a terrible season, incredibly inefficient. Um, and then he comes back the next year and plays real at a really high level. But then towards the end of last season, kind of went back that. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on there, and it's very easy to root for Randall when he's in that kind of positive space and that and that and then, and everything's kind of going in the right direction. Um, but then things kind of tend to tilt the other way, and when they start, you know, unraveling that direction, it gets difficult to kind of get everything back on track. And that's where folks would hope um, that the head coach would hold the, the player accountable. Right. And again, and as you said, we just don't see it. He doesn't say it publicly that that doesn't tell us what he does behind closed doors but um the fact that his minutes you know per game are never impacted the yeah. fact that he's never you know taken out of a game and after after a lack of effort play um you know so those are the things that are frustrating because fans love to hear the stuff about Kobe and they desperately want a Kobe type figure um right. but those same fans can't help but wonder what would Kobe, you know, and you talk about on the podcast, yelling soft to Charmin and, and Kobe cursing out his teammates. What on earth yeah. would Kobe say to somebody um, when the when the team's leading scorer sat at half court like this after a bad turnover in a playoff right. game? You know, like what would Kobe say? Um, those are the questions I wished that 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 um, you know that he would kind of be asked on these type of uh, solution. And I'd be fascinated to hear his answer. Um, you know, when you look at tape, do you yeah. see yourself and get mad yeah. and infuriated that you allowed yourself to let your emotions take over where it looks like you don't care on the court? Because we know that you do. Because for you know from from game one to game seventy seven, out there every night, putting his heart right. and soul on. People think he's kind of a bad guy, or be, and he's not a and a softy and a good dad because he's so mean and vicious and a brute force, but. Um, that's the type of effort and intensity he plays with. But then there's other times where you just don't see it. So that's the dichotomy of, of Julius Randle. And as we've discussed, one of the more difficult to characterize, like difficult to peg athletes uh, in New York and in, in modern sports history. And Randle's relationship with the fans. And he says, you know, it could be hard being at the garden when things are bad or uh, being outside of, you know, you know, the real world. I think he's referring to the internet. Maybe people, tweeting at him or instagram him he talks about his family so maybe people talk about his family then you know in the real world is all love i think that some of that is i think people when they see julius they do kind of have a better understanding because they're not watching him in that moment turn him all over or whatever understand this is a guy who's averaging 25 and 10 he's led Nixon to the playoffs two out of the last three years there is going to be a support like if i saw Julius ran on the street i got show him love I'm not going to be out there saying, oh, that guy, like, get him out of my face. He's also 6'9", 250. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, some of these people that are 
talk that, crazy to him on Twitter. They're not gonna be saying that. That's fake. And that's a that's a that's the kind of the most important point as, as far as that's concerned. There's a lot of Twitter tough guys um, that you know see anybody you know and just to, to they will tweet things to get a reaction, desperate for reaction, but then yeah. they'll give you a big hug and ask for a selfie if they see it, if they saw him in person. So. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like. I think Nick fans also are just tired of like the roller coaster. Like you yes. mentioned everything you talked about. Like it's you no, know, oh, he's great. And then in the playoffs, oh, he, he struggles. And he comes back and he 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 has this weird season where he he's ineffective completely as a player on the court and he's just terrible teammate. Then he comes back, he's like, I'm gonna smile more. And then during regular yep. season for like most of the season, he was great. And then at the end of the season, he started acting kind of crazy again. And then he got hurt. Then he yep. came back and had a great game one. He's like, All right, maybe Julius Randle is overcome this and then he gets hurt again and then he can't buy a basket against the heat when they mattered most and then he's giving bad body language and then he's not hustling it's like it's just this roller coaster with him where i think if we talk about he talks about new york being so crazy and it is and no yeah. one's gonna deny that but i think in some ways like the Julius randall experience not being so up and down would also make like his life a lot easier make the knicks fans life a lot easier everybody would be a lot more happy if we just get consistent effort from Julius randall but nonetheless um, shout out to Julie. Shout out to Paul George for doing this interview. He's actually become a pretty good podcaster. I enjoyed this conversation. I seen clips of his other shows, so want to give him a shout out as well. So uh, very interesting comments from Mr. Julius Randall. But uh, we will uh, finish the show here because, as I said at the top, it may have snuck up on some of you, but the NBA draft is this Thursday. Um, that's probably because some Knicks fans are like, I haven't heard anything about any players coming here. I haven't heard any rumors about who may be drafting. Well, that's because you have no picks. The Knicks do not have a draft pick coming into this uh, this uh, this draft this Thursday. They traded their first round pick um, in the Josh Hart trade. That was their own first round pick that went out to Portland. The Dallas pick that they thought they were going to get that was much hullabalooed didn't happen because of the tanking that happened at the end of the season. So, so the Knicks can't come into this draft now. No picks. They didn't have any second round picks coming into this year. They traded like. 30 of them last year uh, in those in those various trades that happened to get out of some of those bad contracts, Alec Burks and Kendall, Kemba Walker. So, um, so no picks, but it uh, doesn't mean it won't be a fun night. It always is a fun night for the NBA. The Spurs have the number one overall pick and are expected to take a Frenchman, a Victor Wembenyama. And this is usually kind of the, the true start of the offseason. Of course, we have the June 30th, July 1st ordeal but this is kind of when you know trades start to happen movement starts to happen there's some rumors about maybe where some of these guys who are free agents will sign not a big free agent class this year but uh this is really kind of begins like the true start of the offseason the nba draft so what storylines knicks or non-knicks are you looking forward to following this week as we head into uh where we're in the middle of draft week yeah, I think obviously the top of the draft is 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 interesting after the uh, the the Wimbayana pick after the Spurs take him off the board, um, and in the days leading up to that, you know we had um, a, a, there's a lot of smoke starting to billow out of New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. You may have seen it when you were down there this past week. Yeah. Um, around that that Zion talk where you oh, know yeah. they're trying to move up to number two to, or three to get Scoot Henderson. Um, so and then obviously the Blazers with number th- with with the third overall pick. Um, you know, do they? It sounds like Dame's going to be upset if they take a young player as opposed to trading that 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 pick for um, uh, a win now talent. Um, you know, or does Dame get shipped out to Miami and then the Blazers keep that pick and and and, and, and kind yeah. of build the you know rebuild the team that way? Um, so I think it'll be fascinating with those with those two and three. 
Um, and then assuming those that those that order stays the same, or even if it gets flipped around, um, does Miller go two? Does Scoot Henderson go three? Um, looks like Amen Thompson has really been uh, you know making a charge, um, yeah. and kind of solidifying his spot at number four. So uh, let me ask you, EJ, um, what yeah. am I am I am I wrong to think that 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 Miller's has Miller? It seems like Miller's. The kind of the consensus second best player in the draft right now. I, I shouldn't say that consensus, but you know maybe sixty forty uh, among you know mocks. Probably more. Yes, yeah, probably more fair. Yeah, somewhere along those lines. Um, is that because I think if you would have pulled those same you know those same folks six months ago, it would have said you know obviously when Bayana one and then Hoop Henderson two and then some other guys three four five. Um, has Henderson's stock fallen a little bit, or has Miller's stock risen a little bit, or how would yeah. you? Kind of where do you stand on that? I really feel like the school thing, because it's so funny, you know, and Tommy asked me because I do so much draft content. I actually posted a new video. Check, check it out. New Generation Media did some uh, stock rising and falling in this year's draft. So very apropos for this conversation. I feel like Scoot in the discussion about him maybe falling from two to three in terms of where the top players lie it has little to do with him and even little to do with Brandon Miller. And I, I say that because I think – Brandon Miller is, is is talented, but I think people have seen, oh, there's another option to pick a guy that's not a six foot one guard. And I think that that's just in, really enticed people. Like, I think Brandon Miller has a lot of talent. The guy to be that tall, to shoot the way he can, um, the 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 in space athleticism. I'm not sure he's as great an athlete, you know, through context people think, but in space, great athlete. Like you see these, you know, raw tools and you're saying, well, I've seen this guy succeed in the draft, this archetype succeed in draft way more recently than the 6'1", 6'2", guard. And regardless of how Scoot looks, I think people are afraid of that because there have been so many small guards over the past 10, 15 years who look like they would come in and be great, but it's just their size uh, inhibits them. Uh, they're playing the toughest position to play in the NBA, maybe the toughest position to play in sports outside of quarterback in the NFL. It's NBA point guard right now. And it's just buyer beware every time you're drafting a point guard that high. So I almost feel like the Brandon Miller love has more to do with where the NBA is and there being any alternative to drafting a small guard, which I think a lot of uh, NBA draft aficionados are afraid of sometimes. Uh, Amen Thompson, do you think he secured that at the four spot and, and, and would you, and you think he belongs there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, I think he does. He's four on my board. I just think the draft, when you talk about those other options, Cam Whitmore, really explosive athlete, but on the smaller side. He's about six, 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 five. Do, you know, you have he Whitmore might be two. Do you have Whitmore five? I'd probably have Jarvis Walker five. Okay. I'd have Walker five from from um from Houston. Another undersized forward, but he's six eight. You know, a little yeah. different. Um, strong, physical, uh, plays both sides of the court. Um, and then I actually would probably put Taylor Hendricks ahead of Whitmore there too. I love I love Hendricks. Hendricks is one of my favorite players in this draft. Slight needs to get in the weight room, but hell of a shooter at 6'10. Um, can defend the rim. Actually, reminds me a lot of Jaron Jackson at Michigan State. So, um, I think he's kind of a guy that's gone a little under the radar. So, I I, I love Taylor Hendricks, and I probably put um, put him right there below there. Um, Knicks obviously, uh, no picks going into yeah. this moment, uh, and probably won't, uh, once the draft starts. Um, but we know they will keep an eye out, um, and, and they've had tremendous success drafting late in the first round. IQ 25th, Grimes 25th, um, uh, Mitch Robinson uh, early 30s. Uh, is there a player that you would 
you know, is there a, a favorite of yours that should the Knicks, should we see a tweet, uh, Knicks are poking around um, for, you know, mid-20s, early 20s, late 20s, yeah. even early second, is there a player that you hope they target just because, not even necessary positional fit, but you think a guy that could slip in the draft and is undervalued at the moment? I tell you what, I think that my brother mentioned him in one of our videos recently, and I, I do like him a lot. Is another Alabama player, uh, Noah Clowney. At uh, you know, uh, he's a six ten stretch four. If Obi Toppin is not going to be in the future of this team, and there's a report from Bondi today that Toppin may have expressed that he's unhappy with his role at some point, and that he's tried to keep that out of the press. So if you are looking for an Obi Toppin replacement, um, this kid's not the athlete Obi Toppin is, but he'll come in probably as a better shooter. So I think he's a good fit. Um, is they are a weird team because they have so many guys who are young who are, are already in the rotation. So, you're looking at guys saying, Who's somebody that can come in and play right away? You're looking for guys who, who can maybe shoot the ball, maybe a Julian Strother from Gonzaga. Um, just another guy who can who can shoot from 25 35 feet. He's got he's got a limited range, as a lot of people learned in the tournament. We had that game winning three against UCLA. Uh, maybe getting a shooter is someone with somewhere they can go. Knicks are kind of at a, a weird spot, though. They they have kind of a solidified rotation. So I feel like any rookie they get, similar to uh, Trevor Keels, who they picked up last year, I feel like any rookie they get, they may be looking towards a guy who's on the younger side who they can just kind of, like, develop for two or three years and see if he becomes something. Or if one of these guys ends up having to get traded in a big superstar trade that they have, a young guy that they've been developing that can come in and step in at that point. So, so yeah, I, those are some guys I think – I would look at, but it's a, it's a, it's a weird draft. It's not a deep draft. Like it's, it's, I think it's really, you know, one through three is a certain tier. Then I think it's weird. I think four to like 11, I think they're all kind of not that dissimilar. And then I think there's a pretty big uh, drop off from there. Um, I think Chris Murray is another guy who's really good too. I don't know if the Knicks would ever uh, entertain that, but again, if you're looking for Obi top replacement, I think he's one of the more underrated players in this draft. So, uh, so those would be some of the guys I I, I list. Jet Howard also from uh, from uh, Michigan. He's a uh, uh, Dewan Howard's son, another radar shooter. So uh, those are the names I would I would think of. If you're talking about guys who may go in the twenties. Jacquez Jr. out of uh, UCLA's. Oh yeah, Jaime Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's good. Yeah, I like how funny. Me and brother were talking about him the other day. Like he's one of those guys where I think you wonder what position he plays. Like right. is he a small forward? He kind of plays he's, just, forward. he's just a basketball player. You know, exactly. I like those guys that Dr Draymond Green, what was he going to be? You know, he's a pretty good yeah. passer, but just he's a tough as nails, defender, leader, veteran. You know, he's plug and play right away. Um, you know, experience on the college level, big games. Um, so he's one guy. If, uh, if Yeah, if, I really like Hawkins. My one thing about him when I talked about him earlier this week was I'm not sure because the, the adjustment from the college line and three-point line is so big. And a lot of people yeah. don't realize that when you're looking yes. at these players. We watch Hawkins and the threes he takes him. He's right at that line. And he takes yeah. a lot of mid-range jump shots, a lot of contested twos. Like, he needs to be able to actually be a true stretch three. And, like, can he consistently make that NBA three? That's my only question mark about him other than the age but uh, and the positional thing. But I, I like his game. He's a guy that I would take a flyer on definitely in the second round. And I, Maybe and I like even late in the first. And I like him just because his floor is higher. You know, like his ceiling yeah. is not as high as these other guys. If he hits a three, then, you know, if he can be a league average 35, 36, 37% three-pointer, that changes the game. But even if not, 
Um, you know, I, I think there's a place for a guy. And last question for you. Knicks obviously don't have the 10th pick or 11th pick, wherever they m- might wind up. Um, yeah. You know, do you, do you think the Mavs, you know, mocks have them taken, um, you know, your, your guy Hendricks, uh, Lively, yeah. uh, Grady Dick floating around there. Um, do you, would you, if the, who would you be most upset that the Knicks could have got that guy oh, if the Mavs take this dude at ten? Oh, yeah, Hendricks. And, and, and when when this whole situation was coming down with this pick, right. I've been circling Hendricks for a long time. As much as I love Obi, I was gotcha. like, if they can get Hendricks, Obi becomes very expendable at that point, and he's probably on further. He's probably on a more correct timeline with when Julius right. Randle's contract would come up that he could then become the starting power forward. So, yeah, if Dallas comes away with Taylor Hendricks, I love the shooter with Drew, with uh, way, uh, the way uh, the way um, uh, Luca uh, passes the rock and find open guys, I mean, that would be uh, a scary thing potentially. I think that he has a lot of upside. Um, I know they've been looking for a five-man for a long time. So, Lively is a guy who's been finally rising up these, these, these draft boards. Like, I mean, he was a little lower because of the season he had at Duke, but he's a, a great athlete, and I think that – some of his struggles have to do with Duke not really having um, the the best pass first point guards, guys who can get him easy passes. I think playing in the NBA, they actually get much better looks than he got in college, and he's already impact defender. The guy is probably the best shot blocker in this draft. I'll compare him a little bit to uh, Walker Kessler, who had a great season this year for the uh, for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, it's just so, sometimes those guys with kind of a limited offensive game have a trouble transitioning. But again, if you know your role and and, and you can solidify a team that back line of defense, there's definitely value there. And if the Knicks do find themselves in the second round, one of my favorite second round players this year, Kobe Brown from Missouri. Remember the name. Okay. You talk about Draymond Green, similar body type, kind of similar game, uh, forward who thinks he can play point, maybe a little turnover prone, but uh, really productive player. I think he's a guy that I would be very interested in watching. Also, Amari Bailey from UCLA, very impressed with how he played in the combine. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Tommy, let the people know they can find you. Uh, uh, one last question. Amani Bates, oh, yeah. is, is he worth a late-round flyer? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm very strong. Like, not like super high that he's going to be some superstar, but his shot making, like, you can't teach that. So you got to take a shot on him. Maybe, maybe he won't work out. The guy has no athleticism. He's not that strong. Um, but that shot is something that's special. So, yes, you got to take a shot on him. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Again, thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast you can find wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Aussie app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes. Every time we drop, we drop two times a week during the offseason, so we will be back post-draft to give you guys an update on what has happened with the Knicks and the rest of the teams in the NBA. So make sure you follow us there. Also, make sure you catch us on YouTube as well. Uh, check out the WFN the Artist Sports Channel and search us there. You'll find us on both. That's going to do it for now. Thank you so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>